Hello, welcome to a podcast for The Lancet. I'm Gavin Cleaver, and it's September 2019. We're publishing this month a new commission on malaria eradication, and I'm delighted to be joined on the line by one of the lead authors, Professor Richard Feacham. Professor, welcome, and thank you for joining me. So I guess we should start off then with the uh, big question. Why is it so vital that we seek to eradicate malaria? Malaria is undoubtedly one of the oldest and deadliest afflictions of humankind. Uh, It may have killed more children in human history than any other disease. And it has certainly been for millennia Uh, the major or a major killer of children across the tropics. So the thought of getting rid of malaria entirely and for good is a very inspiring public health goal. And I think the excitement about the findings of the Lancet Commission on Malaria Eradication is our conclusion that this can be done, that it can be done by 2050 or sooner, and that we can specify today many of the concrete actions and steps that will allow us to do it. So if this isn't done, what does a business-as-usual scenario look like? Well, I think a business-as-usual scenario has three major deficits. It consigns poor communities and isolated communities, particularly in Africa, but also possibly in pockets elsewhere, such as in Melanesia, to ongoing malaria, sickness and death, and the impoverishment that that causes uh, for the indefinite future, for many decades. Uh, And that is avoidable. That need not be the case. It should not be the case. Secondly, it creates a situation where countries that have successfully eliminated have to continue to invest against reintroduction and resurgence. Uh, If a country is eliminated but there are still countries in that region or nearby with endemic malaria, the importation will occur and the threat of major resurgence will be ongoing. And therefore, those countries that have eliminated, like Sri Lanka recently, for example, will have to continue to invest for decades in preventing resurgence. And thirdly, the evolutionary arms race Uh, against parasite resistance to drugs and mosquito resistance to insecticides will get harder and harder to win. At the moment, that arms race is quite challenging, but we are one step ahead so far, and the R&D pipeline is pretty healthy. But the ability of the parasite and the mosquito to evolve resistance to any pressures that we apply is probably infinite, but our ability to discover in a timely fashion new drugs and insecticides is not. So the longer we take to eradicate, the more likely it is that we come to lose that 
evolutionary arms race against resistance. You, you say in the paper that this, that the malaria can be eradicated within a generation. How can this be achieved and how feasible is it in reality? Well, the Commission started with a modeling exercise, a very detailed and sophisticated modeling exercise, in which we asked the question, what would malaria look like in 2050 on the basis of the impact of global socioeconomic and environmental trends, rising income, urbanization, improved housing, etc., plus the scale-up of the current interventions, today's interventions. And we model that in detail, and that shows a world largely free of malaria by 2050, but with persisting foci of low transmission, low prevalence malaria in a belt across equatorial Africa, roughly from Sierra Leone in the northwest uh, through to northern Mozambique in the southeast. So the commission focused on the question, how can we convert that modeled future into what we called an engineered future, where we deliberately bend the curve, accelerate the decline in malaria, and create a 2050 not with those scattered foci, but with no malaria at all. And we identified four major headings where plausible and doable improvement and enhancement could indeed bend that curve and create a world free of malaria by 2050. And the four uh, headings were software, hardware, finance, and leadership and accountability. And under software, we mean a whole package of non-technical improvements, improved management, improved use of data for decision-making, better use of modern information technology, better collaboration with the private sector, and other specifics which, in the view of the Commission, will greatly accelerate progress and strengthen the performance of individual national malaria control programs. Under hardware, uh, it's the whole R&D pipeline and the research investment that's bringing new diagnostics, new drugs, new vector control technologies, new insecticides, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and that pipeline is looking pretty healthy. Uh, year after year, we do get new tools. We've just, for instance, started to roll out a, an exciting new drug against Plasmodium vivax. So these new tools are coming out of the R&D pipeline. And the Commission emphasizes the need to continue that research and development and to continue to generate the new tools and lays out a framework for prioritizing that R&D investment so that we get the new tools that are particularly valuable for eradication. Thirdly, we looked at the finance. Uh, we produced some new numbers on what is currently being spent, and that is dollars 4.3 billion, and we looked at the possible costs of eradication and concluded that an extra 2 billion a year would make a big difference and would accelerate progress. And we examine in some detail how that extra 2 billion a year can be found, both from international sources, from donor sources, but also from uh, sources within endemic countries themselves, particularly increased government expenditure on malaria. And finally, we looked at obvious opportunities for strengthening leadership and accountability 
both at country level, regional level, and global level. And we found a number of uh, readily implementable improvements uh, that can be taken in the leadership and accountability field. So putting that all together, we were confident that improvements in software, hardware, finance, and leadership could bend the curve and create uh, this engineered future with no malaria, no human malaria on the planet by 2050. In your opinion, what are the most difficult challenges that need to be overcome to achieve this goal? I think, well, the, this is not easy. Uh, this is ambitious and this will be hard. Um, I think some of the most challenging um, dimensions are, firstly, political and financial commitments. Um, we have far more finance today than we had 20 years ago, good news, but we need more. We need an additional $2 billion per year. We have far better political commitments at the country level, regional level, and global level than we had 20 years ago. But it's not complete. Um, not every country, uh, not every country or every region has a sufficient uh, degree of political commitment to get this job done at the highest level. So that's a prerequisite for success, which needs additional work. Secondly, the strengthening, for example, of program management. Uh, is easily said and not so easily done. It will be a challenge country by country to really strengthen program management, make it more data-driven, make it more effective. On the finance side, uh, the extra $2 billion a year um, can be raised from international sources and from individual countries, but again, this will not be easy. This will take uh, a lot of work uh, and a lot of peer pressure and persuasion of uh, countries and uh, global organizations to do what is necessary to fully finance the eradication effort. And finally, I think I would mention the challenge of uh, unexpected setbacks. Um, there is no doubt that a civil war or uh, an extreme climatic event um, or a natural disaster of some other kind, things of this kind, mass migration for whatever cause, um, things of this kind set back health programs generally, uh, including malaria. We have lots of examples of how malaria progress has been set back by events of this kind. And I think preparing for that and ensuring that when those uh, catastrophic events occur, we are well prepared and the impact is minimized. Uh, that is also a, a challenging dimension. So, so are there any countries around the world in particular in the international community that could particularly do more that you would like to highlight? Yes, indeed. And I, I think generally uh, country champions, countries that are doing particularly well and advocating to their neighbors and to their regions to accelerate and do better uh, play an important role in, in the dynamics of malaria reduction. Uh, a couple examples. Um, some time ago, 
the four most southerly countries in Africa, uh, Botswana, South Africa, Namibia, and Swaziland, committed to malaria elimination. And of course, they would be the first sub-Saharan continental countries to eliminate, which would be a historic moment. And they have pushed forward and have come very close to elimination. And several of those countries hopefully will eliminate by maybe 2022. And I think that sends a strong message to the rest of Africa that this can be done, that African countries can eliminate, and this is a, the proof of it. Uh, I think a very salient current example in Asia is China. Uh, China uh, now has no indigenous malaria transmission, so China has eliminated, which is a massive achievement if you think of the scale of China and the high levels of malaria in some parts of China for millennia in the past. Um, and that Chinese achievement, I think, is extremely significant for the world, but also for Asia particularly. It shows what can be done with the right commitment. And I think it also puts China in a very good position to become a major donor and technical supporter of elimination and eradication efforts elsewhere in Asia, but also in Africa. So I see the emergence of China as a significant uh, leading country in the global push for malaria eradication. So what are some of the first steps that can be taken? What, what are things that could change on the ground now that would really aid in the achievement of this goal? Well, I think... Um, Coming together around an agreed roadmap um, is an important next step. Um, if, if the world can agree on the eradication goal by 2050, uh, an important next step is to build a roadmap, a detailed roadmap in five-year increments. So we need to work backwards from the year 2050 and say, where do we need to be in 45, 40, 35, 30, 25, 20. And when I say where do we need to be, I mean in all dimensions. So where does the epidemiology, country by country, region by region, need to be? How much reduction do we need to have made? Which countries should have eliminated by those dates? Um, how much money should governments be spending? And how should that change through time? Uh, how much money should uh, international players and donors be spending, and what should they be spending it on. Um, so elaborating in some detail, building up from the country to the region to the world, uh, the roadmap for eradication, and then setting up a mechanism where we really can hold everyone to account. Uh, it's interesting that the polio eradication campaign has an independent monitoring board, which has been influential in holding the actors to account. And the commission recommends that at some stage, a similar body, learning from the experiences of polio, uh, be created to enhance accountability and to cajole the, the key actors into fulfilling their roles and living up to their commitments. 
It's it's a really fascinating commission, which can be read online at thelancet.com. Professor Sir Richard Feacham, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure discussing these things with you. So, so are there any countries around the world, in particular, in the international community, that could particularly do more that you would like to highlight? Yes, indeed. And I, I think generally, uh, country champions, countries that are doing particularly well and advocating to their neighbors and to their regions to accelerate and do better, uh, play an important role in, in the dynamics of malaria reduction. Uh, a couple examples. Um, some time ago, the four most southerly countries in Africa, uh, Botswana, South Africa, Namibia, and Swaziland, committed to malaria elimination. And of course, they would be the first sub-Saharan continental countries to eliminate, which would be a historic moment. And they have pushed forward and have come very close to elimination. And several of those countries hopefully will eliminate by maybe 2022. And I think that sends a strong message to the rest of Africa that this can be done, that African countries can eliminate. And this is a the proof of it. Uh, I think a very salient current example in Asia is China. Uh, China uh, now has no indigenous malaria transmission. So China has eliminated, which is a massive achievement if you think of the scale of China and the high levels of malaria in some parts of China for millennia in the past. Um, and that Chinese achievement, I think, is extremely significant for the world, but also for Asia particularly. It shows what can be done with the right commitment. And I think it also puts China in a very good position to become a major donor and technical supporter of elimination and eradication efforts elsewhere in Asia, but also in Africa. So I see the emergence of China as a significant uh, leading country in the global push for malaria eradication.